Good morning. How are you? Are you awake? Man, it's so it's so crazy. I asked usually um, I asked the first service and you barely hear like ah. so I try to preach real quiet so I don't wake anybody up during that service. But this one is always the the live one, and um, I appreciate you guys being alive because it helps motivate me. If I don't get some feedback from you, if I don't get some kind of like, Woo-hoo! yeah, like that, hey, man, oh, there you go, man, I just, I just get nervous and I start freaking out and then I start preaching for like three hours because I'm just rambling going, oh my goodness, man. So um, you, you help me out on this stuff. It's, it's been really cool on the um, series that we've been in, this heart attack idea, um, if there's Anything that resonates with my heart, it is, it is this. It is taking the mechanics of Christianity, taking the mechanics of, of serving God and trying to get that out of the way and allowing God just to be real in my heart and do something. How many understand that at all? It, it just, we have the ability, and I say this every time, but I'm just going to keep saying it. We have the ability to fall into such a routine in church, and it just our culture creates habits that we are very okay with. You know what I mean? It's like this isn't self-destructive. This is good, and the habits become something that we don't even think about anymore. And yet, somewhere along the line, we fill pews, we fill churches, we give in the offering, and yet we can become so disconnected from what God really wants to do. So I love the idea of this challenge of going, hey, what's God really doing in your heart? Um, So we're going to be continuing that today, looking at a self-centered heart. It doesn't affect us, but we're talking about other people from other places, okay? Because that, it just, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be us here. Um, When we're looking at this portion of scripture, um, I don't know if you are, well, I do know you're probably not necessarily as, as weird as I am. When I read scripture, sometimes I feel like, dude, are you coming down on me on this? I mean, like, why are, you, why are you upset? Anybody ever read scripture and feel like Jesus is just upset at you? Anybody at all? Like, I'm, oh man, I don't, I don't understand. Why are you shouting here, man? When I read this scripture, that's kind of like what I'm, I get. And I have to go back to what he was dealing with. And there was a level of frustration in what he was doing. And the level of frustration was not from the group he was speaking to but was from the group he was observing. So he's using these people that are around in this culture that were experts at religion. They were experts at doing church. They were experts at this stuff, and they would look down on all the people that were not. I love that he begins to challenge the people that he's talking to and encourage them. Um, There's this talk about the culture that he was dealing with being a a hypocrite. And that's something we talk about like in church, hey, don't be a hypocrite or whatever. It was kind of like a slam though to them. It was sarcasm. I I was telling the first service, my family, our native language is sarcasm. That's that's how we speak. If you're ever around us, that is it. And I, I try, what you see up here is very filtered. Because you don't really know me. You don't know if I'm insane or not. You don't, you don't know. So I try to not, not be as insane. And um, I try to filter some of the sarcasm um, up here. But that's just our family. Anybody else have families like that? That's your native language. You just Now, for those that don't have that native language, 
they just sit back and look at you like, oh, oh, what a what are they doing? You know, Jesus, I love that. I feel like there was some sarcasm going on when he was looking at the religious elite that he was looking at him going, Hey, just don't be like these clowns. Okay. And I'm like, I like that. When you read about Paul or when Paul's writings, Paul has sarcasm and, and he has some statements in there that just, as I read them, Oh, man, I'm like, dude, you rock, man. You are, you're slamming these guys, and I love that. I love that he is just real. Um, the whole idea of, of being so religious that we don't connect is just foreign to Scripture. And so he is just real. And so Jesus here in the Scripture, as we look at this, I just want you to understand he is not slamming us as far as going, hey, man, I'm just trying to, to I'm upset at you, I'm disappointed in you. The crowd that he's talking to, he is trying to be as a leader or as a mentor, as a, a person that has a heart for him going, don't be like this. There's more that God has for you. Don't settle for this junk that you see around you. How many understand that in our culture, no matter how long you've been involved in church or whatever, Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Don't settle for just the junk that you see around. Don't settle for the habits of church. Don't, don't settle for just what we kind of like get into our routine or, or maybe we, we see. Challenge yourself and be open to what God has for you. I think he has a lot more than what we expect a lot of times. God is bigger than a lot of our ideas. How many understand that? We limit him a lot of times. So I'm going to shut up and start reading here. Here we go. Matthew. 6, 1 through 4, and Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give, I always say thus. Anybody else say thus all the time? Yeah, I just wanted to relate with you. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues um, and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I I think it's interesting, um, and it may be just me, but I think it's interesting that he starts out with a warning here. This is as he's beginning to open up into these ideas that he's getting ready to lay out for these people, he starts out with a, a warning here. And I, I'm like, why does he do this? And this is, this is my, own, my own idea of what he's doing here. This is it. All of us can get caught up in trying to impress others. I, I, I just believe that. I think all of us have insecurities. All of us have times that we need to get validated by other people. We want to get noticed. We want to get attention from other people. All of us at times are lonely. All of us at times feel like a failure. And we need somebody else to say, hey, hey, you're doing good. All of us go fishing for compliments at some time. Hang on. I appreciate that. All right, all right. Cool. All of us go fishing for compliments at some time. We have insecurities that we, that we have. This is my, my favorite part on that is that there's 786 people 
in 20 seconds that have gone, hey, good job, Buzz. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to make something that's a lie, you might as well lie big, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's it. I know. I don't even know that many people, you know? Come on. So when we look at this, um, it's, it's just a reality that we have insecurities. We have all this going on. And... Um, I think insecurities lead us to a heart that can become self-centered. It, it becomes so fragile. It becomes so fearful that I try to meet my own needs, man. I try to, I try to fill myself up with confidence, sucking this, this need off of you, going, oh, man, just, just make me feel okay about myself. You know, tell me I'm doing a good job, whatever it may be. I really believe that um, this warning comes because we get caught up in trying to impress people. We can become so dependent that we actually start working to impress people. How many understand that at all? Anybody? Before you came to church, did you think, hey, um, I'm going to comb my hair because people at church care about my hair? Anybody? If, uh, I'm going to wear this. I, m- my thing was, hey, I think Chris may wear a shirt kind of like me, so I'm going to wear this because I want to look like Chris. That's what I was thinking. I can't pull it off as good as he did. Um, so I try to wear the bright shoes so to distract from that, you know. Um, you just do what you got to do. I mean, that's all you can do on this. Uh, when we look at this, I think sometimes we fall into this idea of, hey, I've got to impress people. I've, I've got to do this. And Jesus starts off with this warning because at the heart of us is this brokenness. There's something that went on. Sin creates a brokenness within us, causing us to seek the, the approval, the applause of other people um, to make ourselves feel vulnerable or vulnerable, valuable and validated. I, I think the enemy uses brokenness in our lives. And then I think because other people around us are broken because of sin, God started all this off, I mean, perfect. It, the, there was no sin. I mean, it started off perfect. When sin entered the picture, brokenness entered the picture. What we're dealing with is not perfect. I mean, we would love to think that we come together and we just make like this perfect little community. But guess what? Man, I'm broken. Guess what? Maybe two or three of you out there are broken. You're not in the exact image that God wants this to all be functioning in. My insecurities and then go, oh, man, I'm just not good enough like I am. I I need you to tell me I'm good enough. Your insecurities tell you the same. And then we begin to compete. Anybody ever? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you ever compete? Like, hey, I just can't believe their family's doing so good. I, can't, I see them on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, oh, I want to be excited for them, but I just hate them right now. Oh, man. man. I don't feel that way, but I'm sure there's some out there that are broken, and you feel that way. Um, sin is this brokenness that drives us to someplace other than God. I begin to to use these insecurities, and I create this heart that is fearful, that is, is trying to meet its own needs. And instead of running to God, I begin to run to you. I begin to run to job for success. I begin to run to education for success. S- somehow, please notice me. Please tell me that I'm doing good. And it doesn't matter if you're inside the church or if you're outside the church, there's a brokenness that is going on, and we can allow that become such a part of our lives that we don't even realize it. It's just part of you. you. You don't know it. How many understand that you have things in your family that you do that you don't know you do, that if I came over, I'd be like, man, you guys are weird. How, 
You understand? Because I know that's why we don't invite anybody over to our house, okay? We don't. We're, like, oh, we don't. we're not letting you know anything, man. There's just things that you don't even think about. They're just there. And so when we look at this, there is this brokenness that goes on, and we don't even think about we're trying to meet these needs through other people or whatever. And the idea is this, is that God created you, and yes, sin broke this thing. But when God created you, he created you with purpose. He created you the way that he wanted you to be. You may not like what you see in the mirror. You may not like all this altogether. But he created us to honor and to to bring joy to him. And when he looks at us, he doesn't look at us like, you disgust me. I'm greatly disappointed in your hairline. I know, I'm sorry, getting personal. <laughs> I mean, my hair is getting thicker as I get older. I feel like I'm a werewolf that's going to just keep coming down my forehead, connect with my eyebrows. So I know that Rick has no sympathy for me, but I'm telling you, it's, it's there. And so when we look at this, there is this, this brokenness. And the reality is God created us. We are in the image of God. I do understand that we are broken, but we are in the image of God, and we are here to please him. And he's not looking at us in disgust, but he loves us. Uh, There's a pastor, and he wrote this. He says, um, the cross is not revealing my sin, but revealing my value. Wake up for just a minute, because I'm going to repeat that again, because I stole this, and it was good. Uh, I didn't create it. You ready? The cross is not revealing my sin, but the revealing of my value. Man, if I could comprehend that, how would my life be different? If I could understand that God is not looking at me in disappointment, even though I may be looking at myself going, man, I wish I could please you better. I wish I could. That he is going, I sent my son. If we think about scripture, we, and and I think I, I go back to this scripture all the time, but when you think about scripture, and it says that he sent his son to die for us and all this stuff. But it, it talks about like before you were even playing the game to try to please God, before you were doing this, okay, before you were sitting here in church, before you were trying to be good, that God sent his son to die for you. Can you comprehend that? Can you comprehend the value level that you're at? That it wasn't based, yeah, that's exciting, that's exciting. The two people are excited right there. Yeah, I like that. No, I, it's cool. It, it is something that, that we get so messed up in this broken world. And even in our Christian realm, we have a hard time not competing. We have a hard time not letting this, this brokenness affect our relationships. And the enemy uses that. And I think God, um, Christ here was, was talking, just going, Hey, be careful. There's a, there's a brokenness within you that you may not be aware of, but you could start doing stuff just to get the attention of other people. Don't do it. It's a sickness, and it will devour you, and you won't even know it. Um, we, we can really remove this, this whole self-centeredness in our heart when we really understand our value. Um, the reality is I have no ability to care for you whenever my life is focused on me. That is so, when we are hurting, when we are broken, when we are self-consumed, I appreciate your words of affirmation. I appreciate your words of life 
to me, but selfishly, my world is so consumed about what? My pain, my problems, my fears, my brokenness that I don't really have time for you. And so when we're beginning to look at this, there's something that is so real in the scripture that is understanding that there is this God that provides for you better than you can provide for yourself. There is this God that can meet your brokenness that you can't meet in yourself. But that's something that is so scary and so foreign to us, I think, sometimes. So this warning, I think, hits us right in our heart, right in that self-centeredness um, where the, maybe sometimes we run to. Something that I, I notice as we're going through here, he says, if you want your actions to honor you and to be about the applause of people, then that's what you'll get. If that's your desire, if your desire is to impress people at church, to impress people um, at your job, to impress people wherever, man, if that's what you're rolling for, that's what you're going to get. Good job. Let me, let me put your name up here. Hey, well, way to go. He says, that'll be your reward. That's cool. If that's your desire, go for it. But then he says, and this is buzz summary right here. If you want your actions to honor God, then don't worry about what people think. You imagine what we could do as a people if we didn't worry about what people think? Some of you would be here today in your pajamas. We would be just like Walmart. <laughs> we would. And I'm not saying if that's good or bad. I'm just saying if, if we didn't care what people thought, it would change the way that we do things. If I'm not in competition with you, it changes how I do things. It changes my worries. It changes my fears. And so when we look at this and go, is my heart self-centered? I think we have to examine that and go, man, am I trusting God in all this stuff? When we look at this, um, Jesus then begins to talk about specific acts of worship in in what he's laying out. He talks about giving, prayer, fasting, etc. In verse 2, um, and we're going to be just looking at giving. And he says this in verse 2, just kind of a, a little nugget here. Thus, when you give to the needy, and then verse 3, he says, but when you give to the needy, there's something about giving that, that is right there. And so this is, this is like full disclosure to you, is that I hate talking about giving. When Rick sent me this, said, hey, this is your portion here that you're going to be going over. I'm like, I just turned to my wife and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm talking about money in the church. I hate that. And Rick's going to help me through that. He's, he's, he's dealing with me. I'm going to schedule some counseling appointments. Um, this is why, let me tell you, in my warped mind, I believe that we have made a mockery out of money and the church throughout the years, that we have asked for people's money. We have, we've, we've done some horrible things to make sure my mansion is paid for or my Porsche is paid for or my dog has adequate air condition in his house. Um, we have taken up some offerings for some crazy things that I've said, hey, invest in the kingdom of God and this is what's going to happen. There is a culture within the church that when we talk about giving, everybody just goes, yeah, that, oh, giving, yeah. When I leave here and I go into the culture that I work in, I talk about giving, 
Is the response the same? Man, they look at me like, dude, aren't, have you not drained my pockets enough? I mean, why are you guys always about money? So when I start to, when I, when I see the, the email from Rick saying, hey, this is where you're scheduled, you're going to, I'm like, oh man, maybe I should say I'm out of town that week or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to talk about giving in the church because it, it just, it brings up all these ideas that maybe normal people don't wrestle with, but I wrestle with. And I'm like, man, the image that we have outside of here when it comes to money is ridiculous. If the guys that I worked with were sitting here and I was talking about money, hey, just give. It's not something that they just go, oh, well, yeah, I, I comprehend that. So in my mind, it, it drives me crazy. But the reality of it is that giving is not a church idea. It's a biblical idea. And so I can't get away from it. Uh, I can't just say, hey, I'm out of town. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm not going to be able to. I've got to deal with what does Scripture say about it. And we're not going to go into um, the immenseness of what it says, but we're going to look at just a little bit of it. So this idea of giving here, I think, is something I, I can't avoid. When I look at Jesus and he's talking about in this Scripture, he, he is not introducing a new habit. He's telling us something that is already going on. So before there was church like this, do you understand that we used to just meet in a house? You know what I mean? Now, when these guys had no concept of what is going on here, except out in the, the secular world where they had idols and stuff, they would have big temples. They have no, when they're talking about meeting, they're, they're in their little houses there. In their little houses, before the church idea like this ever came together, Jesus already had giving going on. There, this was already a principle. This was already an idea. He is not introducing a new idea. Hey, by the way, let me, let me talk about giving here. He's not saying that. He's just saying, when you give this, check your heart out. Check your heart out. I, I like that. I think it's, to me, that's something that, that relieves some of the pressure on me and, and lets me feel okay about it. He's not looking at um, the, the, the whole giving idea. Do I trust these guys? Do I not trust these guys? He's just saying, when you give, check your heart. He's, he's throwing it back on us. I'm going, don't use your giving to be impressive. Don't use your giving to get attention, but guard your heart. So when I look at this, this is kind of how I broke it down because uh, I just want to wrestle with it and kind of understand it. Sometimes the, the finances and, and stuff like this, we struggle with the concept of them, in my, at least in my mind. There's a normal view that is outside the church that, that I just want to show you here, um, and I think it is this. I work, I provide for my needs, I fight to keep what is mine. How many understand? I go to work, I pay my house payment, I pay my car payment. I take care of my family. It's mine. It's mine. I mean, I'm not sitting back at home. I am sitting back at home right now. I feel bad. Um, I'm sending my wife to work. Thank you for having a great job right now. Um, I, I look at this and I'm like, we're not sitting back just going, hey, I'm not doing anything. God provide. We're, we're doing all this stuff. And, and the idea outside the Bible is that this is mine. And this is mine. It's ownership. Don't mess with my stuff, man. It's my car. It's my house. It's my stuff. When I get into a biblical concept, that changes. It broadens. And I want you to see this. Biblical view is this. God provides. 
I use the talent, I use the health, I use the opportunity he gives me, and I trust him enough with what he has given me, whether that is talent, whether that is money, health, opportunity, maybe time, um, to use portions of this to bless others. There's a manager. There's not an owner mentality. There is a manager mentality, which is a different thing. The Bible says that I'm going to be accountable for what he has given me. Did, did you realize that? This isn't like a, a threatening message. It's just an awareness and going, hey, what God has, the, the talent, the time, the skills, everything that God has given me, I'm going to have to be accountable to him for. If I owned all this stuff, I don't have to be accountable. I just said, dude, I did what I want. It was my money. It was my time. It was my talent. I have no accountability. Because I have accountability, I understand, dude, I'm not the owner of this. I'm the manager of what God has given me. And he's given me specific things. Each one of us has different things. Some of us have, have some talent. Some of us um, have cash. I mean, whatever it may be, he's given us this stuff. And we are managers of all this stuff. And depending on how we look at this, it depends on how we give. I mean, it really affects that in a huge way. Um, there is so much scripture, but we're just going to look at one. How many are picture people? You are, you see things in pictures. That how, that's how you understand. When you go to the directions of something, there are some people that will read everything out. How many read everything out? You're very logical. Yeah. How many barely look at the pictures? You just kind of glance at the pictures. That's how I put something together. I'm like, ah, oh, the table's supposed to have three legs, honey. I mean, come on. It's, that's, that's how it is. And so I just glance at the picture going, ah, I do my best. And we always have spare parts. That's great. It's just a great thing. Um, so I'm just a picture guy. That's how I understand things. Maybe I'm too simple. Um, I need the cartoon in my head to understand it. So we're going for the, the imagery here. And so we head over here to 2 Corinthians 9. And there's this messed up church in Corinth. And if, if we just came from Las Vegas um, for vacation, we were in Vegas and in Phoenix. And um, we think of some of these places um, Vegas, we think of maybe New Orleans um, during Mardi Gras as, man, just messed up places. They are nothing compared to what Corinth was. Corinth was this messed up place, and yet they established a church there in the middle of that. I'll never forget being, I was um, an intern in me, had flown, we were doing some ministry in um, New Orleans during Mardi Gras, and I can't, I don't want to stay away from what's going on. I want to be there. And so we went into Mardi Gras where everything was going on, and it's just crazy. We were by a witch. We were by all this stuff going on, and I'm just looking around going, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. In the background, all of a sudden, I heard praise and worship music. I'm like, what? What's going on here, man? And there was a, a youth band that had come out to the square area that we were in, and they were, just, they were just set up, and they were doing praise and worship. And in my mind, I was like, dude, this is just like... Ephesus, or this is just like Corinth, where that in the darkest place that you think, ah, oh, man, it's out of our limits. We just need to stay away. God enters that picture and blows you away with what he wants to do. And I just sit there going, man, dude, thank you, God, for allowing me to be in this thing. 
And so when we look at this, Corinth was this messed up place, this messed up church, and yet God had done something in their heart that they wanted to give to kind of the mother church, this Jerusalem church that was in need. And so Paul is writing them and saying, hey, we're going to come take an offering from you guys, um, but so you don't feel the pressure of me, Paul, being there, um, I'm going to send some guys before me. So let's just, let's check this out. And um, 9, 1 through 2, he says this. I really don't need to write to you about this min- the ministry of giving um, for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. So he's going, hey, I already know you, you got it going. So he says this about the guys that he's sending. Verse 5, so I thought I should send these brothers ahead to make sure that the gift that you promise is ready. But I want, you to be wi- I want it to be a willing gift, um, not one giving grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much you are going to give. Do not give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Stop right there. Wake up for just a minute. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give out of pressure. Don't, just don't do it. Paul is telling this church, hey, guess what? Because if I was there and the people that I'm bringing, you would feel some pressure. So I'm not going to do that. So I'm just going to send these guys ahead so nobody kind of knows, hey, Bob didn't even show up, Paul. You said to take up an offering. Bob didn't even show up, man. I wrote down the names for you. Paul is going, I don't want that. I don't want you to, I don't, there's no pressure. What your heart wants to do I want you to do that and do it cheerfully. I think that's awesome. That totally rewires kind of how we think about some of this stuff. To reevaluate what is my heart doing? What am I really doing in my giving? Jesus goes, check out your heart. Don't do it to get in attention. Don't, Paul says, don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it compulsively. So I love this, that giving is not about me. It's not about relieving my guilt. It's not res- responding to pressure. It's not trying to do good deeds. It, it is this. It is allowing God's provision in our lives to overflow into the lives of other people. It is this basket or this bucket, whatever, that God begins to just pour into my life. And I had, I had kind of given the demonstration about anger in our life, how it overflows into other people's life. What God is doing in my life can overflow in goodness into the life of other people. So we're going to look at this, continuing, because I think it's just a principle we have to understand. Um, Looking at verse 8 as we keep rocking through this. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty of leftover to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered. For God is the one, check this out, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always do what? Be generous. And when we take your gifts to these in need, they will thank God. I don't, I, I've heard this preached as like a prosperity message before, like, hey, you give and you, you plant that seed and, and, and maybe that's true. I, I look at this and just going, you know what? When I read this, God is reminding 
a people that is, can be so self-centered and so I have to take care of myself. He's reminding us that who is the real provider? God is the provider. It's not promising that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have health, wealth, and, and wisdom all the time. That, oh, don't worry about sickness, don't worry. It is telling me that there is a God, and he knows exactly where you are, and he provides for you. For each of us, that may look different. I hear your stories, and I'm going, oh, why doesn't God provide for me like that? How many have ever been there? Oh, oh I, I listen to the testimonies. I'm like, yeah, God's never done done that for me oh man there is this God and he provides there's something about trusting God with my my heart that really takes this selfishness away from me um so when I look at this I I love the the idea when Jesus is saying your right hand is not going to know what your left hand is doing I think that it becomes such a part of our DNA that we don't even think about it. How many know some real givers? That it's not just finances. It is service. It is time. It is encouragement. It is, I know people that we, if you've ever driven junky cars before, you need to know some friends that are mechanics. You, you need to. And so, man, I have, I have had friends that I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, it's me again. I don't know what my car's doing. Like, kink, 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 kink. What is that, man? And they'll they'll help me out and I'm I'm amazed by I I don't have that gifting I don't have that talent I love cars I need somebody else to help me keep them running and so there's that kind of talent and I look at that and I'm like man I'm so grateful for people doing that so it may be financial it may be whatever but it's it's a matter of allowing this just to become part of our DNA whenever it says this it says that in the same way he will provide the increase for all your resources, um, then a great, a, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. There's something that has to change within my heart that I have to allow God to change my heart and understand that if he's the provider, then it's okay to begin to release this stuff. That it's, it's going to be okay. That I'm not the one that has to deal with it all. He's going to give me enough. In fact, he's going to give me more than enough so that I have maybe some time and it depends on where you are in life. Maybe it's, it's finances. Maybe it's, it's knowledge. Whatever it may be that I can give to other people. Here we go. We look at the, the results. 2 Corinthians 9, 12. And it says, so two good things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will rejoice, or they will joyfully express their thanks to God. The results is this. Number one, needs are met. Number two, God is recognized and thanked. To comprehend this, it doesn't guarantee anything about me in there. It doesn't guarantee anything about you in there. It doesn't say that at the end, it's going to turn around and they're going to know that you did that. They're going to recognize that you put that money in there and they're going to go, thank you. They're going to recognize that you gave that time. Oh, thank you for investing in me. It doesn't say anything. It says that the need is going to be met and that God is going to be glorified. So many times I want, I want, please just tell me thank you. You know, I would do more for you if you would just tell me thank you. 
And scripture is going, dude, it's not about you. It's about meeting the need and God being recognized and thanked. God is that provider. When we look at this, um, it, it reminds me of, of two stories that I'm, I want to end with because I think that to be a giver, I have to trust God. I have to, number one, trust that he cares for me and that he's aware of me. But I also have to trust that he's going to provide for me. Because if I don't trust that he's a provider, if I know this, if, how, do you understand that we can have knowledge of this stuff and it not translate into our life? I know I should be a loving, patient father and a husband. And sometimes it just doesn't translate into my life. Anybody else have that? Some of the wives are raising their hands right here. Scripture, we know, and we can have it in our head going, oh, dude, I know that. Yeah, I've got that. And yet it, what Christ was saying here is we've got to make it part of our heart. And so I can understand that, yes, God is going to be your provider. Yes, God loves you. I've got to spin that around and understand God is crazy about me, and God is going to be my provider. I was looking back to about three years ago when we came here and we lost the job at the church. Um, I was the main income person. I, I was bringing in the, the income. Kelly was working part-time at MSU. Um, we were freaking out. Have you ever lost a job? Have you ever been in, in such a financial state that you're going, what in the God, are you even aware that we even exist? You know, what is going on? And I remember just the, the freaking out and the fear. And uh, one day I'd be positive, and the next day I'd just be like crying in a corner. Oh, man, just freaking out. Um, I remember getting a job as a, as a construction worker, leaving ministry kind of and going into this, going, dude, there's no income compared to what I was making. What are we going to do? This is crazy. God, do you not understand? Here, let's lay our bills out. Maybe you can't see them because they're covering each other up. Let's do this. Um, I, don't, I don't know what we got to do. Um, Kelly's job, all of a sudden, his mind came to an end. They said, hey, why don't you go full time? Cool. When my insurance ended, the day after my insurance ended, her insurance picked up. Um, the craziness just has continued for three years. It just, uh, we have no income coming on on my part right now. I've been out of work for two months. It'll probably be three months. Um, we planned a vacation in the middle of our time off, so we weren't really thinking. Um, how many understand? You don't have income coming in. You don't plan a vacation in the middle of that. Does that make sense to a lot of people? Um, so we did. Um, and here, I'm not bringing in anything. I don't have any income. There's not a lot of one-armed carpenters out there. Um, so, like, can you climb a ladder? Well, no, no, not really. Um, so I'm just waiting for the shoulder to, to be healed. So I have three months um, or longer that I'm off. Uh, supervisor where Kelly is working stepped out, and she got a new job. And the person came to Kelly and said, hey, um, we need you to step in for like three or four months and just take over this position. Can you do that? Well, yeah, yeah, maybe I can do that. Um, you get an increase in pay and stuff like that. We are so lucky. Do you understand that? Some of you are going, what? Did he say luck in church? What? Oh, my goodness. This isn't just coincidence. There's something going on that is bigger than me. I am the provider, and yet I can't. 
And yet God is working this out. When I talk about God as a provider, I want you to understand that it often, it often looks so different than what our, our mind has pictured. Uh, my worst one that I ever remember, and this is my last story, I'll shut up after this, I promise. We were in Oklahoma, we just went into ministering. We were at a church that couldn't afford us um, to pay us hardly anything. We had left two real jobs in Ann Arbor to go to this little country crazy place in Oklahoma. And we just knew we should be there, but we weren't, I mean, no, there was money that was just not coming in. We had a kid and we're like, oh, this is beautiful, yay. And you're living off regret and credit cards and you're just going, oh man, this is wonderful. And so I remember Thanksgiving was coming and um, all of a sudden some people knocked at our door. And I'm like, oh, okay, and I went to the door and there was people from our church that had a handful of groceries. They had bags of freaking groceries for us. We were poor. Have you ever been poor and you didn't know you were poor? I was like, I helped put those baskets together for the poor people. And you just came to my door? Inside, um, I knew we needed those groceries. But I am the provider of our house. I'm, I'm the one that brought us to Oklahoma. In fact, when we interviewed, she almost killed me for this. When we interviewed the pastor, we were sitting in, the, in his living room, and he's like, dude, yeah, I want you. Come on. You know, I can't afford to really pay you. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. We're moving. You should always talk to your wife about that, okay? Uh, so I just remember her face. Oh, what? And um, um, I remember opening that door and wanting, everything within me wanted to just slam that sucker and just go, just get away. I don't need your help. We're good. And yet I knew we needed their help. And they had moved on a need that was there, and we took the groceries, and I was humiliated. I was humbled, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And I remember, I, I have read in my journal since then, because I can't remember anything hardly. So I look back in these journals to confirm my, my suspicions. And I look back, and God had just spoke to me and said, we're just beginning this journey. You've got to know that I'm your provider. You think you're the provider? But if you're going to trust me, You've got to know that I'm your provider. Man, I hate that. I hate that. I just want to be the provider. I remember not having enough cash to take our Michigan license plate and change them over to Oklahoma license plates. We didn't have the cash. I'm too proud to ask for help or to tell anybody about that. And one day um, in the offering, somebody gave us a check in the... I mean, the dollar amount and the cent amount, that, that was what we needed. Kelly and I still look at this going, we didn't tell anybody. I mean, we're not going to tell, hey, we're broke. Please help us. We're just not going to do that. And the awareness that God knew what we were going through and that he was speaking to people about a need and that they responded to giving. Oh, my goodness. Do you know this God that is so passionate about you? He is so crazy about you that he promises that he's going to be your provider. You may not feel like it. Circumstances may not seem like it. 
Um, we have been freaking out and fearful of finances. And yet when we look back and we're stepping out of it, we're going, God, you are so faithful. Thank you. Do you know that, that kind of God that loves you that much, that he wants to be your provider? And do you know that there's people around you that you have the ability to step out and be God's answer to prayer? It may not be finances. finances. It may not be um, that. It may be time. It may be encouragement. It may be helping somebody with a car. It may be whatever. But that God has given you some type of overflow to invest into other people. Would you stand with me and we're going to pray. Uh, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for opportunity today. And Lord, I pray that for those that are in here today that are wrestling with just the fact that you are crazy about them, I pray that you would just remove all the lies that the enemy would tell them. I pray that you would remove all the competitiveness, Lord, that they would just know that you are crazy about them, that they don't have to earn it, that you just love them. I pray for those that are struggling with knowing you as a provider, that they would know that you are a provider, that you would reach into their life, whether it is health, whether it is finances, whatever is going on, and that you would encourage them and you would speak into their life. And whether the situation completely changes or not, I pray that you would let them know that you are going to take care of them, even if it looks different than their idea. And finally, Lord, I ask that you would give us eyes to see the needs around us. Give us a heart that looks away from our stuff and sees, Lord, the needs that are around us. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.